Both of the Prunetas. Yeah, reading. Okay, we have English and Spanish. Praise the Lord. All right. So I'm going to hand you this microphone. Good morning. Good morning. Dios es nuestro amparo y nuestra fortaleza. Nuestra ayuda segura en momentos de angustia. Por eso no temeremos, aunque se desmorone la tierra y las montañas se hundan en el fondo del mar. Aunque rujan y se encrespen las aguas y ante su furia tiemblen los montes. Hay un río cuyas corrientes alegran la ciudad de Dios, la santa habitación del Altísimo. Dios está en ella, la ciudad no caerá. Al rayar el alba, Dios le brindará su ayuda. Se agitan las naciones, se tambalean los reinos. Dios deja oír su voz y la tierra se derrumba. El Señor Todopoderoso está con nosotros. Nuestro refugio es el Dios de Jacob. Vengan y vean los portentos del Señor. Él ha traído desolación sobre la tierra. Ha puesto fin a las guerras con todos los confines de la tierra. Ha quebrado los arcos, ha destrozado las lanzas, ha arrojado los carros al fuego. Quédense quietos, reconozcan que yo soy Dios. Yo seré exaltado entre las naciones yo seré enaltecido en la tierra. El Señor Todopoderoso está con nosotros, nuestro refugio es el Dios de Jacob. Good morning. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives away, though the mountains will be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord, is hosts, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation on the earth. He makes the wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen. Let's give glory to God and give thanks to Africa and Gabrielle for reading for us this morning. Thank you, guys. All right, Psalm 46. Uh, as we dig in, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray over our time in God's Word. My name is Josh. I'm the preaching pastor here. So thankful that you guys are here joining us this morning. Got great weather. Brandon, perfect song. Mighty Fortresses Our God is a perfect song to theme this psalm together. And so I praise God for that. Thanks for having us sing that. That was really good. Uh, let's pray and we'll dig in uh, to the scriptures together. Father, thank you 
for your amazing love and mercy in our lives, Lord. Thank you for giving us life and breath for another day. And God, we come to this tent um, rejoicing in who you are and also, God, just trusting you for great things. And so, Lord, we believe you. We believe your word. We ask that you would make your word very specifically understandable to us. And uh, God, help us not miss anything this morning in your word in Psalm 46. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, can I get a glass of water? Somebody give me a glass of water or a bottle of water. That would be great um, if, we, if we could. That would be awesome. Thank you. Okay, as we <clears throat> dig into Psalm 46, the question that comes from this text is, where is God? Okay, where is God? Many have been asking this question in our frenzied and fervent, passionate culture um, in these days. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks, bro. Thanks, dude. Oh, it's, it's, it's room temperature. Can you get it refrigerated, please? <laughs> Just kidding. I'm just kidding. So the question of where is God is reaching a fervent pitch in our culture because as, as society continues to move forward, people are asking, where in the world is God? I've walked into many hospital rooms where families are asking, where is God? I've walked into many domestic situations where I've heard from husbands and wives who are at odds with one another. Where is God? Where's God in my marriage? I've walked into sporting events where things don't turn out quite the way you want them to. Where's God? Where is the Lord here? Um, one situation that I walked into many years ago was a situation of, of spousal abuse, and the, the, the woman was questioning where the Lord was because she was under tremendous amounts of pressure and abuse at home. Um, a few days later, she had a heart attack uh, because of the stress that was in her life, and, and she ended up passing away uh, just a, a short month later. But she was asking me that question, Pastor, on the phone, in tears, where is God in my situation? If God is real, where is he? I can't see him. Psalm 46, um, authored by the, the, the sons of Korah, they, they address this question in Psalm 46. Where is God? Psalm 46 tells us that God is exalted. That's what it says, and you can see it in verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. It's very emphatic. God is telling his people that he will be exalted. That's where God is this morning. He is exalted in heaven as the Lord of hosts, which means he's the Lord or the God of armies, the God of angel armies. And so this, is, this might be the most timely psalm of the summer for us as a church and for our culture. Psalm 46 is, is a beautiful psalm. And in verse 10, when God says, I will be exalted, it means I will be high. 
I'll be up here. I'll be above. Um, that's what the word means. It means to be above. God, in Psalm 46, tells us that he is higher than you. Okay? That's a good thing. All right? He's higher than me. He's higher than our circumstances. He's higher than the earth. He's higher than the nations. This psalm is filled with references that God is higher and above us. So, protected and blessed are the people who believe in the Lord of hosts. You can see this in verse 1 and in verse 7 and in verse 11. Verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. You can see it in verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. And in verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Happy are the people who believe in the God of angel armies. Can I get an amen? Okay. The writers of Psalm 46, they, had, they needed a high view of God because they needed to make sense of the craziness around them. The craziness that was going on in the earth, the craziness amongst the nations, the writer of Psalm 46 says, I need to make sense of this. So in order to do that, I'm going to see God in his exalted position. And may I submit to you this morning, so it is today for us. A high view of God in the hearts of his people does the hearts and minds of those people a lot of good. When God's sovereignty and his exaltation are in our minds, it helps us make sense of the craziness around us. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. He said, happen what may, the Lord's people are happy and secure. Believers are literally commanded in verse 10 to be still and to know that God is God. The word be still there means to relax or to sink down in your chair. Can I get a lawn chair? Amen. Right? Like that's the command. The command is to literally sink down into your chair. And if I catch any of you practically applying that during this sermon, I'm coming for you. But you're supposed to literally sink down into this chair and be like, Yes, I am relaxing, and that's what God commands you to do. Be still and know that I am God, not you. Amen? There are three scenes in Psalm 46 that come to bear. Um, the earth, you see the earth in verse 2 and 3. Um, you see the city of God in verse 4 through 6, and you see the nations in verses 6 through 9. So, the psalmist, when they are given the question, where is God? The psalmist doesn't even debate the reality of the answer. God is exalted. The psalmist in, verse 40, in Psalm 46 is more concerned about telling us where God is exalted. Because it's not enough to say God's in heaven somewhere, just trust it. No, you have to look at practical things and see that God is exalted in practical matters such as the earth and such as the nations. And so um, the psalmist, the group of psalm writers are going to point us there. So the answer uh, to the questions that are at, being asked this morning are pretty clear. But the main question that Psalm 46 is going to ask you and me this morning is, where is God exalted? 
And I like that question. Where is God exalted? It drives out the practical, pragmatic, human heart that says, hey, okay, I want to know where God is exalted. Where can I point my eyes to see that God is exalted on this earth? So there's three places in Psalm 46 that God is exalted. Number one, in the earth's distress. Number two, in God's city and amongst the nations. Those are the three places. So we're going to break those down one at a time as we work through Psalm 46. God is exalted, first of all, in the earth's distress. Check out verses 1 through 3. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, and though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains tremble at its swelling. Okay? The first three verses tell us that God is exalted in the earth and its distress. So the earth is giving way in verse 2. It means it's literally being dislodged. Um, it's being, we have mountains being moved and picked up and dropped into the depths of the sea. That's troubling, right? We just went to the ark encounter in Kentucky. My family and I did, and we got to see the life-size replica of Noah's ark. And as you walk into the ark, there is this, this thunder and, and lightning and thunder sounds. And you walk in and you hear rain. And they, they build all three decks life-size to give you an exact picture of what Noah's, the size and scope and maybe how it was set up. But you walk in and it's like the rain is falling. And then you hear Noah praying over here with his family. And you just picture like just the immense amount of of upheaval that was going on in the earth. Mountains were being lifted up, dropped into the sea, and it's, uh, it's pretty disturbing. In fact, uh, my daughters, multiple daughters, I won't tell you which ones, were crying as they were like, Dad, this is so freaky. And I'm like, welcome to the Bible. <laughs> so you have waters roaring in verse 3. You know, roaring and foaming and the, and the mountains tremble at its swelling. So anytime you've ever been in choppy waters where the, 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 you, know, you have white caps on the waves, it's not fun. It's not a fun feeling because you feel out of control. We live in a day of unpredictable weather. All Iowans say amen, right? We have climate change. Earth is getting warmer, things of that nature. We have earthquakes. We have tornadoes, we have tsunamis, we have comets zipping past the earth, which freak everybody out because everybody thinks one of those comets is going to hit us. We're all going to die, right? And we have volcanoes acting like ticking time bombs. Uh, can I get a shout out for Yellowstone, right? Yellowstone National Park sitting on a massive volcano. Everybody's wondering when that, when's that thing going to go? And it's unsettling. The earth's convulsions are unsettling to us. We don't like it when the temperature changes. We don't like it when the weather changes. And, and we look at all these things and we see all the media blowing up all these weather changes and people freaking out. And what should we say to these things as we come into Psalm 46? If you think our day and age is tumultuous with the weather and with the earth, you ain't seen nothing yet. 
And you Christians who read your Bible, you know exactly what I'm talking about. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 7, and in verse 29, Jesus himself dealt with climate uh, convulsions on the earth. And he said, when the Son of Man comes back and returns to the earth, there will be famines and earthquakes all over the world. Before Jesus comes back the second time. So, famines and earthquakes, check, and Jesus says, those are just the warm-up things. Those are the beginnings of the birth pains of the earth before the Son of Man comes back. Jesus later went on in Matthew 24 to talk about how the sun would literally be darkened and stars would be falling all over the universe and onto the earth. And I'm just telling you, before Jesus returns, it's going to get crazy town in here. And all the Christians need just to understand that God is exalted in those tumultuous upheavals. Because what happens when the earth gives way is we understand as humans, we have very little control over what is going on. Can I get a no control amen? We don't have any control. All we can do is watch God exalt himself in creation. God will be exalted on the earth no matter what tumultuous things come our way. God created the earth. He's in control of the earth. He's in control of the climate. He's in control of all these things. And just consider this. The first judgment was a flood on the earth. The second judgment of God at the consummation of all things will be fire on the earth. And some people have asked me, Pastor, what do you think of climate change and global warming and all that stuff? And I'm like, look, I'm not a scientists i don't know all these things but here's what i know god judged the earth with a flood the first time the second judgment will be a fire so if things are heating up i'm fine with it right because the second judgment will be fire on the earth and psalm 29 verse 10 says that god sat enthroned at the flood and he remains king forevermore so god will be exalted as the earth convulses with fiery violence until Jesus comes back. So, ladies and gentlemen, buckle up. It's going to get faster. The ride is going to get faster and more intense as far as the globe is concerned, and God will exalt himself. Secondly, God is exalted not only in the earth's distresses, but also in his city. So in verse 4, there's this huge shift in the psalm. All of a sudden, we're going from the tumultuous earth and the mountains being dropped into the depths of the sea and all the crazy earth stuff, and all of a sudden, in verse 4, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. All of a sudden, we're just introduced to this peaceful river, which all of the readers say, thank you, God. I was getting freaked out by all the mountains dropping everywhere, and now we got a nice peaceful river running into the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. Verse 5, God is in the midst of her. She won't be moved. He'll help her when the morning dawns. So verse 4 and verse 5 are like the salve on your soul. It brings a little bit of peace into your reading of Psalm 46 because you're like, oh, that's nice. Verse 4 and verse 5, the city of God. Here it is. And God will be exalted in his city. Okay, so this is a huge shift and it points us to the peaceful and glorious city of God where God dwells. There's a river. You know rivers are cool. Can I get an amen? Rivers are great. 
Rivers are cool because, like, in, in the Bible terms, the sea is like a scary big place where lots of people drown and you can't understand it and its depths are beyond understanding. But a river is nice in Scripture. Every time a river is mentioned, it's blessing, it, it's, it's a fountain, it's a joy, it's a blessing to the person who is experiencing the river. Rivers are always good. Now, the river of God that goes into the city of God, it, it provides precious supply to the city. So in ancient days, if you had a river running through your city, you were good, right? Because any besieging armies that surrounded your city couldn't kill you. You could outlast your enemies by building your walls bigger and you have the river coming through your city and you could survive. Now, if you didn't have a river, you can get ready to die soon, right? Because if you have no river source or no water source, people can come around your city, besiege your city with armies, and you're dead. Okay, in the city of God, he has provided a river that flows into his city. And this city is a beautiful picture of God's kingdom. God is in the midst of the city, so he's right in the midst of it amongst the people, and, and the city won't be moved, and God will help his city when the morning dawns. So in verse 5, you have the promise of God helping his people who are in his city when the morning dawns. So God's help is promised um, at the coming of the sunrise, God will be there. Now, it's darkest just before the dawn, right? You've heard that phrase. When you've had a bad day, what do you want to do? You want to go to bed so your day ends. And what's the most refreshing part of your bad day? The dawning of a new day, right? Where you wake up and you see that the sun is rising again, that you have another chance at this life. God is gracious. He is sustaining you. And the morning, it, it signifies God's faithfulness and a new start. God will never leave his city or his people without provision and without blessing. So, um, Hebrews 13, 5 says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Revelation 22, verses 1 and 2 gives us a picture of the future heavenly city that we're all going to if we know Christ. This is our future. This is where God is exalted. He is exalted in his city and this might be a newsflash for some of you, but heaven is not about you. Heaven is about the exaltation of God. When you walk into heaven, you won't be like, man, I am pretty sweet. I'm a pretty great person. Look at me. You are going to walk into heaven and you're going to see God and you're going to be like, this is all about him. His glory, his honor, his blessing. God will always bless his heavenly habitation, and he will always bless his human habitation known as the church, the people of God. He will always protect them. He will always um, help sustain those who are leaning on him. You can see it in verse 5. He will help her when the morning dawns. Church, God will not abandon us in 2020. Amen? He's not going to abandon us. He is not going to leave us. His promises are still true. He will protect and provide for his people as we put our trust in him, even in the crazy year of 2020. 
People have asked me a question, what's going to happen to Christianity in the future? My answer surprises most people. I said, I believe that because of Psalm 46, verse 5, I believe that the greatest days of the church are still ahead. I believe that. I believe that, that Christianity will explode in the next generation. I believe that. And most people look at me like I'm crazy. And they're like, well, how do you believe that? Because I believe in this book. Amen? I believe that God will bless his word. And I believe that he will never leave his gospel nor forsake his gospel. And I believe that there will be a time in which the next generation will see an explosion of Jesus' movement in it. 2020 has been a dark year. Can I get a coronavirus? Amen. Whatever. Right? 2020's had the coronavirus, which is ongoing, the race riots, which have been real intense, intrusions upon the populace of the American people, the oppression potentially of Christianity that might be right around the corner. Um, where is God? Where is God in the midst of our current context? If I read my Bible correctly, if you're going to oppress Christianity, get ready for Christianity to explode. Christianity has historically, for 2,000 years, not only survived, but it has thrived in cultures that oppress it. So I'm just like, if America is going to oppress this pastor or this church for preaching about Jesus, bring it on, baby. Bring it on. Let's go. Let's fight this fight. I'm ready to go. And I think we have seen some incredible spiritual giants leave us in 2019 and 2020. Billy Graham. Warren Wiersbe is one of my favorite theologians. Ravi Zacharias, Myron Houghton, my favorite professor in seminary. John Lewis, the great civil rights hero. They are in the city of God right now. And I have heard multiple times in the last week, while well, the next 20 years of Christianity are just done. Christianity is done. Christianity is done. Christianity is not going to thrive. Christianity is going to fall by the wayside of cultural malaise. And to that, I say, whatever. Give me the baton. Let me run. I'll lead. I don't care. Like if we have all of our giants dying, I'm telling you there is a younger generation of my generation and younger that will take the baton and run with it. Let's go. And I'm here to challenge and exhort you who are younger, men and women. If you're here and you are wondering, doomsday, 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 will God really be here for us in the next 20 years? I'm challenging the younger men and the younger women, take the baton and run. Run for Jesus. Step up into leadership. We're ready to pour into you. We need to be pouring into the 20-somethings in our church we need to be pouring into those who God is drawing to salvation. And if I read my Bible right, God will be exalted in his city, in heaven and in his church now. So church, I want to encourage you. This fight is not ending. This fight is just beginning for the soul of our nation for the next 20 years. And hey, are we going to affect anything in Washington, D.C.? I don't know. And can I say I don't care? I want to see the south side of, of Des Moines and Carlisle and Norwalk hear the gospel. That's what I want to see. And let's just do what we can right now to change our lives and our direction, to see God honor himself and exalt himself in the city of God. Finally, God is exalted in the nations. Verses 6 through 11, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter, 
He utters his voice, the earth melts, the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, if you skip down to verse 9, it says he makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow, he shatters the spear, and he burns the chariots with fire. God is exalted in the nations, in the midst of the nations, Psalm 46 says. Now, who are the nations? The nations are the people who rage. The nations are those who are building kingdoms in verse 6. The nations are people with bows and spears and chariots. And you can just modernize that to military power. They have, they have nuclear warfare. They've got all the stuff. Nations. Nations, you need to know, are fundamentally against God Almighty. Psalm 2.2 talks about how the nations are gathered together against God and his holy servants. So I, you can go back through history and you can see the rising and falling of nations. Egypt, the Philistines, Babylon, Assyria, the Romans, the Turks, Hitler's Germany, Stalin's Russia, communist China, and now the largest group of nations today is the secularized West. Okay? We have a secular group of not just our nation, but many other nations that are rising up against God. And it will be this way. The nations will make their stand. I don't know if you've ever read Revelation. There will be a moment in time when all the nations gather together in Revelation chapter 20, verse 9, and they will stand in front of Jerusalem, in front of the holy city, ready to kill everybody and burn everything. They're like the sand of the sea, the Bible says. God is exalted in the midst of the noise of the nations. So, how loud is the news these days? How loud is your news feed? Pretty loud? Yeah, for sure. If you're, if you're keeping track of emergencies and, and the news, all right, you're always looking for, like, new things. What new thing did President Trump say today, right? You're looking for that. And not only that, what new happenings are going on in Portland and Seattle? And what new restrictions, mandates, or recommendations are the government putting on us today? There's all these things that there's so much noise and noise. We should, yeah, there we are, there we are. Glad they turned that off before they came by. That was nice. Oh, we got another one. So I don't know if you know, we're moving to the YMCA in two weeks, and... Um, that's going to be a good day. I've enjoyed 10 Church. It's going to be a good day to have uninterrupted gym time with you guys. So, yeah, I'm just going to wait it out. I, there's no way to do that. I, I don't want to waste my point. Okay. Oh, hey, hey, all right. All right. Let's, hey, praise God for our emergency workers. We, I do praise the Lord for them. Okay, so no matter what you are, are doing or what you're seeing, there's always the noise, right, of your news and your screens, and they're messing with your mind, and they're messing with your heart, and here's the reality of all those things. Psalm 46 tells us that the noise of our news and our screens and our modern-day nations cannot drown out the exalted position of our God. God will overcome these nations. God will overcome the chaotic rising and falling of different nations at different times. God will utter his voice in verse 6, he utters his voice, and the earth melts before God. 
So all God is going to do, he's going to take all the weapons of the nations. He's going to take all the stuff that humans are so proud of. Look at all we've done. Look at how great we are. God is going to break the bow. He's going to shatter the spear. He's going to burn the chariots with fire. And with one word, God is going to draw down and he's going to defeat utterly every nation who rises up against his great name. God will be exalted now and forevermore amongst the nations. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells me so. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says, Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. God has done this in the past. In 2 Chronicles 32, he has wiped out entire nations with a moment of word spoken. God is doing it now, and he will do it. Jesus will return in Revelation 1.16 Jesus will return and out of his mouth will come a word and it will be like a sharp two-edged sword and Jesus will take out every nation risen up against him in a moment in time. God's word is powerful. Can I get a scriptural amen? Nations will rise and fall. God is not intimidated by the arrogant sin and pride of nations that oppose him. He will be exalted among them. So what's God doing now? Why isn't he wiping out all the nations of the earth now? Because he's so stinking merciful and gracious. 2 Peter 3, 9 says that he is being merciful and gracious because he doesn't wish that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. God is exalted and he will be exalted amongst the nations. Let's close our time in a word of prayer. God, we love you. You're exalted in your heavenly home right now. We as your humble human creations acknowledge you as exalted above us. You're exalted above the earth. You're in control of our world. God, you're in control of your city in heaven. You are in control of the nations. Every single bit of history is in your hands. But God, I, I pray for this congregation at 8 a.m. Lord, I wonder if you are exalted in every heart this morning. Lord, in a crowd this size, no doubt there's a few that have not exalted you in their hearts yet. Lord, you're exalted everywhere else, but you're not exalted in the heart of man. And so, Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here that doesn't know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, that this would be the morning that they see not only your glory in creation, but they see the glory of the crucified Jesus. And that they, they see the exaltation, the resurrection of Jesus. And that for the first time, they would surrender all of their heart to you. Jesus, I pray that you would save those who don't know you. And I pray, God, for those who do know you as Savior or believers this morning. I pray that every believer would see you as exalted, high, above us. Lord, may you give Christians the ability to smile and trust that you are in control over all things in every moment. 
So God, help us to respond to you rightly. Help us to not only just understand and appreciate Psalm 46, but God, help us to apply it into our lives. Holy Spirit, lead us to the changes that we need to make. In your name we pray. Amen.